Hello and welcome to the Parkview in Pod podcast. At least, uh, is that, that's still the name, Tony? I, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not changing anything. No, I'm asking Tony because he's taken over this operation. So uh, if there's anybody in the Parkview Ward that is not familiar with me, uh, I am Kurt Frankham. I used to be in the Parkview Ward uh, before the split. I live over in the Sagewood development, at least for now. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I'm, we're looking to move uh, this summer of 2023. So um, I may not be your fellow stake member anymore either. But uh, a few months ago, a year ago or so, I started this uh, podcast through the help of um, Bishop Pearson and his approval. And uh, and so when the ward got split and names of wards went elsewhere, I thought, oh, man, there goes the podcast. But Tony stepped up and said, hey, listen, Kurt, I'll carry the torch. And that's what you're going to do, right, Tony? That's the plan. <laughs> I, I'm getting trained, I guess. I'm trying to take over. Big shoes to fill. I mean, <laughs> nice. Well, I, I remember from your elders quorum lessons, like it was, uh, there was at least one or two podcast references in the, <laughs> in your lesson. And so you're, I mean, you're a podcast junkie, right? Is that a, is that what? Yeah, it was probably one or two references per 30 minutes. So I, yeah. I'd reference a podcast every week at least. Nice. And multiple times a week nice. when I talk. Now, this podcast, the Park View and Pod, we just record uh, living histories of members of the ward, and it's uh, there's I guess there's a twofold purpose in this: is one uh, just to record your living history, and you can put it on Family Search or give it to your grandkids someday, and they'll hear a little bit about your your life. And then, uh, secondly, just to get to know members of the of the ward is the best way to do that is to hear their story, and not just a quick testimony in in sacrament meeting, but uh, you know. Let's hear. Yeah. Let's all hear all the nitty gritty, the, the the good, the bad, the ugly, and uh, that's how we'll feel more connected. So, as Tony yeah. and I were talking about this transition, I said, "Well, why don't I will transition by getting you on here, and Tony will tell your story, and uh, and then you can take over from here, and I'll disappear into the sunset." <laughs> okay, that sounds great. <laughs> Yeah, we. It's funny. The, the podcast came up the other night when we were at uh, Ward Campout too. Oh, really? And we were just sitting around the fire, and the Newlands were talking, and someone asked about the Newlands and how they met, and uh, they did a abbreviated version. I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! I've heard the podcast. I've heard more of your history. You need to give more details," and nice. forced them to give more details. So. The podcast ha- has added value already. <laughs> okay, awesome. All right, Tony. Well, let's uh, let's jump into this. Unless is there any other announcement or transition information to give? Or no, yeah, that was basically it. I was sitting and I was thinking about reaching out to you. I'm like, oh man, I need to reach out to Kerr. I haven't talked to him for a while. And then I was thinking about the podcast and how I missed it too. I was like, man, I wish we were doing the podcast again. Uh, well, at least for the ward, and I asked President Newland about it, and he's like, well, if you want to do it, go for it. Nice. <laughs> it's like, well, no one else is going to do it. I guess I can do it because I miss it. Yeah, cool. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. So, um, well, let's jump into your story, Tony. When, uh, I mean, are you originally Anthony, or what's, what's your full name? Antonio Luis Lopez. Nice. Luis, if you want to add the, the Spanish accent, but yeah. Nice. And you have like Latino descent or? Yep. Yep. So my dad, his, um, 
ancestors are from Mexico. And then my mom's ancestors are uh, date back more to Spain. Obviously, there's some, well, more Spain, yeah. And they came over and then came directly to Texas. So Spain and Mexico. So I guess nice. with the conquistadors, it's kind of the same story anyways, just a little bit belated with how they came into Texas. So did you grow up speaking side. Spanish or anything? No, not at all. My mom knows Spanish. My dad, I think, knows Spanish technically, but when he was growing up, he got in trouble for speaking Spanish. So he stopped learning and stopped talking or speaking Spanish. So in the household, we didn't speak Spanish other than like sit down and shut up and, you know, the (laughs) the normal Spanish things (laughs) get told to kids. And then I learned Spanish on my mission. And then, yeah, my brother and my sister speak Spanish now because of their missions. So we, we talk in Spanish every once in a while. And my mom speaks Spanglish because she's from Texas and they kind of <laughs> flow in and out of English and Spanish. Nice. So nice. It's, it's good there. So where were you born? Here in Utah in Salt Lake. So my mom moved to grantsville when she was a junior in high school my dad grew up in grantsville and went away for military for the military um in the marines and then came back and he met my mom when he was 28 i think he converted to the church when he was 27 and met my mom who was a member of the church um and they were both living in Grantsville. He was 27. She was, uh, I want to say 19, 20 at the time when they met. And then um, they, yeah, had all their kids in Grantsville. I'm the youngest of five. So nice. all my siblings grew up in Grantsville. I grew up in Grantsville. So this is, I mean, Tooele County is like your your hometown, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was an effort to get back to Tooele County. My All my siblings are in Tooele County except for one. My sister, she's up in Logan. But, yeah, after I went to school, came back, tried to force my wife to come out to Grantsville. <laughs> and she's like, no, I don't want to go out to Grantsville. Your family's all out there. And I'm sure they'll be in our business all the time. I'm like, well, that might be true, but. I guess we'll, you know, find a house, and we found a house in West Valley. Then went to Magna, and then eventually ended up here in Stansbury. Oh, little so. by little, huh? <laughs> I'm pushing her west. Yes. So are you, are you aiming for Grantsville next, or you, you kind of you're settled now? No, uh, that's the hope. I'm trying cool. to get out to Grantsville, but who knows when or how? Yeah. If the stars align; it will work. If not, we'll we're happy here. There's yeah. Good so you here in Stansbury. You're the youngest of five growing up, but anything else that would sort of frame your your childhood years? Well, yeah, youngest of five growing up. Um, all my family, super good family, active family. I'm probably the me and my sister Belinda. We both think we're the black sheep of the family. I would think I'm more so. <laughs> just because I got in more trouble than her growing up. Um, 
Yeah. Good. So, uh, what makes you the black sheep? Why do you say that? Just, just, just getting just in trouble, but I mean, you don't seem yeah, like a criminal today. Yeah, getting in trouble and no, not at all. Like just that. Yeah. The rest of my family were super good. Yeah. Never got in trouble. Um, did all the good things in high school. And then I got in some trouble. So I got one time I got brought home in a police car because um, we were. So I think in Grantsville, there's a tradition of going egging around prime prom time. <laughs> and the assumption was anyone out at night during those, you know, weeks or those days were participating in egging and we would drive around and egg other cars and they were egg us and we were, you know, at the end of the night, go wash off all the egg and be done with it. But we camped out at our um, coach's yard, which is kind of at a cross section of pretty heavy, heavily used streets. And we were just camped out there and we had our dozens of eggs and we saw some cars coming. We were just egg them as they came by. And one car was not participating in the tradition. So they (laughs) called the cops. Cops came. Me and my friend hid in a bush. Another friend took off, didn't get caught, escaped. But me and my friend both got caught, got escorted home in the car. And it's funny because... That night when we went out, my mom, the only thing she said is just, don't get in trouble. We had one job, Tony. (laughs) I know. It didn't happen. But yeah, I mean, my parents did it when they were growing up. They went egging as well, so they knew the tradition. All my siblings did it. But This is is really a Grantsville thing, huh? I don't know if it happens anymore, but yeah, growing up, it, it was... It's just what we did. So and, your parents weren't overly shocked that you were out egging because all their other sibling, all your other siblings have done it. They did it, and yeah, <laughs> and it was just part of what we did. And you know, there was a few like usually happened the next day. People would come back, and I remember one of my friends got hit in the eye with it, and he had a big old black eye. <laughs> and it was usually the seniors versus the juniors if you could tell who was who and the guy was in the back of the truck holding on and throwing and the egg came over and hit him in the eye and he just had a big old black eye, which is part of egging, I guess. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yep. So maybe yeah. wear goggles next time you go egging. You know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but that was, yeah, I had to go to like a juvenile court, which all the attorneys were, were kids and there was actual, um, judge that like oversaw the entire thing, but the attorneys were kids. Um, and there was a judge that was a kid, but there was an actual judge like giving him advice on what to do. And <laughs> my friend, he got like community service and all the things. And I told my attorney, my child attorney, right? <laughs> he was a teenager. What, what sort just of like I was. <laughs> I don't crazy. know. I don't even know if it's still happening out here, but it was here in Twila County. And my teenage attorney, I told him, my parents used to do it. I'm sure the judge used to do it. If he grew up in Grantsville, the cop used to do it. That pulled, that like brought me home, uh-huh. and that was his defense. 
And I had, I think, probably three hours of community service. And my a friend, he got like 25 hours because his attorney wasn't as good. So life lesson to have the right attorney <laughs> from a young age. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but yeah, things like that. And then just, I don't know. I've always had a rebellious streak and argue argumentative streak um, talking to adults growing up. And I can tell my, I can tell my kids ha- have that as well at this point. Yeah. So how did that, so, did that manifest in your life? Like spiritually? I mean, were you always somewhat of a believer or? Yeah, spiritually, I've always been a believer. I mean, I grew up, my brother went on his mission. My sister went on her mission. Uh, everyone got married in the temple always been a believer, always knew that, you know, church was true at some level, Mm -hmm. but I always had questions too. Like, well, what about, you know, questions? And I, I, I think critical thinking has always been something in my, uh, I guess, I don't know, skill set or just critical thinking. I I think for me, it's been a blessing to have that mindset too, because it's actually allowed me to deepen my, um, testimony, my understanding of the gospel, as you know, you ask questions, you get answers. And even if you don't get answers, you kind of sit in that section of, well, I will get answers someday. And it allows you to strengthen your testimony there. But yeah, I've always, I've, I had friends that, you know, argumentative asking teachers, questions and uh, arguing with the teachers and I kind of grew up with that around me and I remember me and my friend we were in like fifth grade and the teacher said something like well if you guys don't stop talking and you guys can just leave and me and my friend's like oh we can leave and we just walked out (laughs) and we were like I think it was younger actually probably fourth grade because we were still in elementary school and then the teacher just let us leave and we went to the principal's office and hung out there. And then our parents showed up and my mom's like, what are you doing? You're not allowed to do that. Basically. I was like, well, she said to, she told us to do it if we didn't want to stop talking. So <laughs> weird stories like that. And then I see my daughter kind of had the same spirit or mindset too, which is annoying as a parent but I can see where she's coming from, where she has like legitimate gripes and understanding. It was like, well, they didn't do this or, you know, they can't, or, you know, ask pushing the envelope and like, well, she has a point, but she's, she's the kid and they're the adult or I'm the adult and she's the kid. And yeah, that's where I get. Yeah. I think of myself more of a black sheep of the family just because yeah, all my siblings were, perfect kids in my mind and i always give my parents a hard time but yeah yeah so uh any like specific uh mentors or people in in those developing life in those developing years that really helped you you know maybe as as you're really deciding whether to commit to the black sheep lifestyle (laughs) Um, sports was a huge thing growing up and coaches were always around me. And most of my coaches were, uh, members of the church and part of the community and mm-hmm. good examples. And 
you know, all my siblings, friends, and um, I guess grades. I grew up, you know, having them as, as examples. And same with my friends, too. Most of my friends are um, younger in their family, and their brothers or their sisters were examples, and they were all, you know, strong in the church and had strong testimonies. Mm-hmm. And they were all great examples. Um, but I had a bishop, Bishop Tayon, and he was a, a huge, he was my bishop during my formidable years. Um, and he was a huge example for me. He, I don't know his story exact, exactly or time frame, but he was in a, uh, uh, accident out at MAGCOR and it like burned all over his body. He had to get skin grafts and he lost some of his fingers and he oh, was wow. a burn victim, I guess. But that was before he became bishop. And then as a bishop, you know, he would take us camping and he was just a great example of um, a faithful member of the church and a faithful leader. And he would do burn camps. Him and his wife would go and do burn camps for youth specifically. And he was known throughout the state for his work around um, burn victims and, you know, accidents like that. And he was just a huge um, part of my development growing up. So Nice. And is he still around? Do you have contact with him or? Um, I did. He actually lived around the corner from my parents, but he passed away, I want to say, four years ago. Oh, wow. Four or five years ago. Hmm. Um, but his wife is still there. His kids are still in the valley for the most part. I, um, his son I worked with when I worked. Well, both of his sons I worked with out at uh, Cargill when I worked at the salt plant mm-hmm. uh, out here. And then... I think his daughter's still in the valley as well. So I still have a connection with the family, but yeah, he's passed away hmm. years ago. And then what about uh, your mission? Was it that always the plan to, to serve a mission? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, you know, as you grow up, it's kind of the expe- expectation, right? Of going on a mission. And then my brother went on his, on his mission. My sister went on her mission. Um, friends would leave and that's just the expectation. And then it was never a question if I was going or not going or even in my mind, it wasn't even a question if I was not going to go, even though I, you know, had critical thinking or questioned everything in my mind, it was just happening no matter what. Hmm. So I had to prepare for it. And put in my papers and paperwork came back and everything kind of, you know, just kept flowing. Yeah. And then. So did you go, showed up. <laughs> did you go like uh, to any school before your mission or did you go straight? Yeah. The, okay. Yeah. So after um, high school, my cousin um, and my two friends, we went to school together. We went to a semester at Utah State. And we all lived in the same apartment. Um, and, you know, we all did the school thing. Why Utah State? Um, I got a scholarship there. 
So it was partially because of academics, but mostly because I'm Mexican or I have Hispanic <laughs> heritage. <laughs> oh my goodness. He said it, folks. All right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so it was needs based and it was came from the multicultural center or section of Utah State. So mm. um, I helped out with multicultural like recruiting as well um, up at Utah State after I got back from my mission. But yeah, my uh, some of my siblings, I think two of my siblings got the same scholarship. So I was kind of somewhat of a legacy, I guess. Nice. Just in that scholarship. So my, yeah, academic, um, it was, you know, good. And then I have Hispanic heritage and then, yeah. So the scholarship was there and it was basically all tuition and books paid. And then I would just have to cover living. So it was hard to turn down. And do you, um, so you did what two semesters before your mission? Um, one semester. So I left after the first semester and that was it. So I got my call during that semester and then I left. Um, oh man, I can't even think. I think I left February of 2024. No, not 2024. That doesn't make sense. 2004 (laughs) or 2005. I left February of 2005. And I graduated, yeah, in 2004. So where did you go on your mission? To Peru, Trujillo. Trujillo, Peru. And and when you opened the air call and and saw Peru, I mean, what what were the first thoughts that came to mind? I didn't even know where it was, honestly. It's super known, Latin America, right? But I I had no clue where it was and what I was getting myself into, really. Mm Mm-hmm. Were you excited um, to go Spanish speaking? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I took four years of Spanish in high school, and uh, I was hoping to do Spanish because my brother did Spanish, my sister did Spanish, um, my mom speaks Spanish, everyone in my family speaks, yeah. you know, all my aunts and uncles speak Spanish. So I wanted to, but yeah, so super excited. I got it. Had to look it up on the map exactly to see where it was, learn more about it, the llamas and the alpacas and <laughs> like Cusco and like Machu Picchu. I knew of Machu Picchu. I didn't know it was in Peru at the time. I was learned all the weird things and then I figured out, you know, Machu Picchu wasn't going to be in my mission, but it was part of Peru. and Yeah all the things that come along with the mission call. What parts of, of the mission were, did you find more difficult than, than maybe others would? Um, uh, dealing with myself basically, you know, cause I, I got thrown into being with native companions instantly and I didn't have uh, a North American companion until I was like a year in. So a lot of the time was just me by myself learning a language I didn't know and just learning 
um, to be by myself and a lot of my thoughts and not bouncing thoughts off of other people mm. and kind of being introspective there. And cause I grew up with, you know, the youngest of five friends all around me, things like that. And I always had someone or something, you know, going on with yeah. sports. And then I was involved with like student councils and plays and things going up in a small town. There's always something going on. And then in the mission, it's like you have all this stuff going on, but at the same time, there's a lot of times like you're walking around and we didn't have bikes or cars. So there's a lot of walking and you try to talk to your companion and I only get half the things for the first year. Like, <laughs> yeah, you didn't know. know the language, right? Yeah. So it's just, so it felt, it felt lonely. I mean, the, the yeah, part. exactly. Yeah. Super lonely. Um, uh, yeah. Zone meetings, district meetings, finally got to talk to someone, especially when I first got there, when it was just me and a, a native companion, it's like, I don't know what's going on in my life right now. Yeah. And just trying to, you know, everyone says, love the people, love your companion. It's like, I don't, I don't, this is hard. Yeah. It's easy to say those <laughs> things, right? And then you're, you're there yeah. and you can't understand anybody and you're homesick yeah. and you're don't like the food. Exactly. And you, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, what, what advice do you think you'll give to your, your own children as they leave on a mission? Um, I think I, I've given it to others to just enjoy it as much as possible. Enjoy the time and enjoy uh, yeah just enjoy it more i took myself really serious at the time i thought you know it's a mission i'm on the lord's time um i'm on my family's dollar you know and i'm spending their money um parents weren't very well off they're super well off so it was a big sacrifice for them i put myself out there i'm on their dime I'm on their time i'm the Lord's mm-hmm. time, I was like, I have to take this serious. I have to focus and do all the things I need to do. Be super obedient, everything. And then it wasn't till a lot, you know, later to enjoy myself and have fun and to joke around and, you know, connect with the people on a one-to-one basis and have a strong relationship and not so much about and I guess it's kind of bad to say, but not so much about the gospel, but more about the loving relationships that you have with people. And then the, the gospel will come just naturally about how love is, you know, so strong in the church and so strong in the gospel. And, you know, love is great commandment. Right. And I just always thought, well, I had to focus and get this message. So I think I took myself way too seriously. Yeah. And I know, yeah, that's not the same for everyone, but at the time it's like I needed that or someone to tell me that more than, because I think everyone's advice to me was, you know, work hard, do your best. And that's what I was doing, but then I wasn't enjoying it really. So that's why I tell other people and I'll tell my kids too, um, even though they may need the other advice to, buckle down and work hard because they they enjoy life quite a bit <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. Now I think, uh, you know, that's such an interesting time in in our life where we're transitioning into adulthood. And so you're suddenly in this context where you feel like you gotta be really serious and you know, there's there's standards and goals and obedience talks. And, and sometimes you go overboard without, you know, at the end of the day, loosen up, you're in a foreign land with, uh, probably the best time of your life that you'll look back on fondly. And, you know, so just roll with it. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I thought about, you know, as I got to the later part of my mission, I'm like, I, I need to enjoy this more because it's coming to an end and the companions are fun. You know, people are fun. There's a time, you know, there are somber moments and you're dealing with serious things, but at the same time, have fun and enjoy the relationships that you're making. And all growing up, you know, I like to laugh and make people laugh and enjoy time. And I was like, I was kind of missing out at that on that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure I did, but at the time I was like, I just took myself way too serious. And now even at work and other stuff now, I'm like, just don't take yourself too serious. Cause that's not who you are. You know? Yeah. <laughs> You're not serious, Tony. We all know. No, that. never. <laughs> <laughs> so anything else about the, the mission years that we need to make sure we, we touch on before we, we move on. Um, no, I mean, yeah, great time. And I think I, I we went back, me and my wife went back to Peru and I did a internship in Peru afterwards. And it was, I think, a three month internship or two month uh-huh. internship. And I had time to go on the weekends to all my areas and visit people, you know, off of the Lord's clock off the time and um, it was different, but I think that at that moment I had a lot more fun, like meeting with people, talking to the people, people going to church with them, going to some family parties with them and, you know, experiencing it as a non-missionary and just enjoying myself. And I think that might be where a lot of my advice comes now is I enjoyed myself then and I wish I would had more time just enjoying myself with the people in the, in the time I had on my mission. Yeah. Yeah. So you come home from your mission and, uh, I mean, you're the rest of your life's ahead of you. What do you remember anything about that transition or getting into school or marriage or what comes to mind? Yeah. So I came in mid semester, like mid school year. Um, I was like, well, I don't have time to get back into right back to school. So I'm going to go work. Um, and I went and worked out at MagCore. Um, super dirty, basically. And I worked up on the, I think the seventh floor. Someone might correct me if they work at MagCore, but it's basically where all the like more molten lava is. And you have to make sure it's flowing and gets down to the lower levels where to actually store them to create the magnesium. Wow. Um, ingots. But we had like body suits that we duct tape off. And we'd have gloves that we duct tape off so not, nothing gets inside so you don't get burned. And there was chlorine gas everywhere. And we had like gas masks on. And it paid super well. And I'm like, well, I'm going to do this for the summer. It's going to, you know, give me good money at overtime. There's a few times where 
I almost, you know, died multiple, you know, people would come on the radio and ask if I was still alive, if I was okay. And there'd be smoke covering the whole room. Holy cow. But yeah, that's where I came back, got into that, had an in, uh, you know, I had a, a person, people that worked out there and like, yeah, do a good job for you for the summer, as long as you don't stay. And, uh, you know, there's a few people that I knew from Grantsville growing up and they have worked out there the whole lives. And they're like, you know, you think of this as a summer job. And then if you don't have an end in sight, it just continues on and you end up like me. It's what they said. Hmm. And when I was making the money, I'm like, Oh, this is really good money. You know, but then I had school lined up, classes lined up and ended there, went to school. Back to Utah state, um, I assume. Back to Utah State, yep, is where, and I had a friend from high school that they had an apartment um, themselves. There was a girl that was a friend from high school, and me and my friends all came back from our missions roughly at the same time. So I had me, my cousin, and then a friend all go back to Utah State. And because of this friend from high school, the girl that had an apartment at apartment complex, she's like, well, why don't you guys just rent here? There's still more open rooms and there's places that you can stay. We'll get it all set up for you. And we're like, oh, this is great. So we went there and we lived below them, actually. And she lived right above with some of the friends that she made from college um, and we'd been, ha- been hanging out like the whole time since we got back just as, you know, return missionaries trying to get out, do stuff. And she was a friend and she's like, well, went to some concerts, other things. Anyway, so she set it all up. I went back with my cousin and my friend and then another friend was the brother of my sister's. Um, mission companion, super close mission companions of my sister. So he came as part of our um, apartment as well. So it was a great, yeah, apartment. Went back to school, started going back into classes, you know, getting into stuff and things. And that's, yeah. Back to life. Social events, back to life, yeah, all the things. So how long until you you met your wife? Oh, from when I came back from my mission to when I met her, I think it was probably like six months. Oh, wow. Because I came back February time, uh, February, March time in 2007, and then... I met my wife, still here in Grantsville, doing the work, working through the summer, working as the school started. But then when school started, I went up to Utah State at the first football game that we went to uh, in the first football game of the season is where we met. Like at the stadium, at the football game. Yeah. Yep. So she um, was the roommate of the girl, the, my friend from high school. So, and my friends from high school was like, well, let's go to the game. And she 
convince my wife to go to the game as well. So they went, and then we met with uh, we met up with our friend, and I met her there at the football game. And she lived right above me. I lived below. Um, and I met her at the football game, and I uh, thought she was cute, obviously. And then um, I, the next time I talked to her, I went up to talk to my friend. I was, I was saying, I was like, "Oh, I'm going to institute. Does anyone want to come with me?" And my Amy, she's like, "Well, I guess I can come." And I'm like, "Well, all I have is my motorcycle, so you either have to ride your drive yourself." or come on the back of my motorcycle and my amy's like well i'll just come with you i was like okay good so that's i think the second time we met and actually did something together we uh-huh. went to institute class together yeah it was it a pretty quick courtship yeah i think so because technically when we met and then when we got married well it was about a year from when we met and when we got married, but the summertime in between, I was actually doing summer cells while she was preparing for a wedding and everything. So I um, proposed to her before the summertime. So it was basically that school year is the courtship, proposal, everything else. And then the summertime, I was off in Pennsylvania. She was here planning for the wedding and everything. She would say, you know, what do you want the colors to be? Where do you want to do it? What, yeah. what's, what do you think about this? All my answers are, yeah, that sounds great. And not much has changed to yeah. this day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that sounds great. Do nice. whatever Do whatever you got to do. Nice. And so uh, now you're... Uh, starting a married life and the plan obviously just finish school and then then find a job was that where you're at yep exactly so she had i think a year more schooling than i did she's older than me um and she had a year she went to byu first and then from byu she did like a year at BYU, went on her mission, and then came back and decided to go to Utah State. And that's when we met. Um, but she, yeah, get married. Um, we took over my sister's apartment and her contract. That's a good thing about having all your siblings go to the school. You kind of just leech off whatever they've set up for themselves and <laughs> yeah. you just kind of slide in. But yeah. yeah, we lived in a studio apartment um, and it was all, it was so small, but it was great. Yep. Yep. Um, and we finished school at the time she was studying to be an engineer. That's what her dad does or did before he retired. He was an engineer for Thiokol worked with NASA contracts and things. And she's like, well, I can do that. So she was an engineer. I was in finance. And then I switched to accounting and she saw how easy my classes were compared to hers. And she switched to accounting (laughs) and we just both had to finish out, finish school. And 
Um, that's what we did. And yeah, that's when at the end of the school year, she went to work for the state as an auditor. And I went to, I got the internship to go back to Peru, basically my last year of school. So we were married. She was working. I was still going to school. And then I went and did the internship while we were still married. And she was working. I was down in Peru for those two months. And then she came down in the middle of that. And we did all the touristy things like wow. Machu Picchu and yeah. Chan Chan and all those things. Cool. So nice. Then we graduated. And now, uh, started the uh, real life. And now in, in 2023, you have how many kids now? Three, four, four, four yeah, kids. Right. Yep. And, uh, yep. what are their ages at this point? So Cosette, she'll be, um, turning, well, she just turned 11 in June and then Isaac is eight and then Ezra's five and then Zeke, he's one. Nice. But with nice. one, you usually want the months. So he's like 18 months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so on the older side of one. Obviously you still got a long way to go in your, in your journey of fatherhood, but, uh, what are some reflections you have about just being a dad? Oh man. I think a lot of it's been, uh, introspective of how I treat my kids. Most of my being a dad, right? Like mm-hmm. the things I say, should I say it like that? The things you kind of see yourself and your kids on how they react and, there's a lot of yelling in my, like in my house. And I think, well, is that all coming from me yelling? Uh, probably <laughs> is that coming from me and my wife yelling, you know, too much, not at each other, but at the kids and trying to, and my wife says it always, she always says it comes from the Lopez side because her families are like, all of them are super introverted and quiet. And then the Lopez side were more <laughs> loud and, we come from a big, you know, Hispanic Mexican family and the family parties are big and loud. I always think it's probably from the Lopez side, but when I look at my nieces and nephews, I'm like, they're, they're quiet too. So maybe it's just that Tony, Tony uh-huh. thing. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But yeah, just really, you know, thinking how all my actions and, everything I do is, is going to be part of their life. Right. Yeah. And all, you know, while nature definitely plays a big influence in who they are, a lot of it, uh, nurture definitely is part of it too. And how I react to things and how I do things is a big deal. And I need to spend time um, bettering myself and becoming a better, you know, priesthood holder and a better person. And I think that's a lot of what I think about Yeah, being a dad. Yeah. So I don't know. There's no obvious segue here, but uh, few know that you own a zoo. <laughs> yeah. Tell us, tell us about <laughs> your love for reptiles. Yeah. That, so it started when I was growing up. I, I lived on the west side of Grantsville, and during the summer, 
you know, I'd ask my parents, can I go lizard hunting? And they, as long as I had a friend, they would let me go. So I'd call up one of my friends and we'd be like, can we go lizard hunting? And we would just take our bikes and spend hours, like, you know, two or three hours a day just out walking around the desert up by the small dam or the big dam in Grantsville. And there was some bike trails and other stuff, but, you know, we'd just put down our bikes and walk around the desert for hours looking for mm. snakes and looking for lizards and horny toads. And from that, I've always been interested in animals and specifically reptiles because that's basically all we could catch and, you know, see out there. So I would, I always had some kind of lizard or snake as pets growing up and my Mom, she always hated all the reptiles, but she allowed it, which I was grateful for. And that's really where, you know, my love of reptiles comes from. Yeah. And so how many, what's your current uh, supply of of reptiles? (laughs) Oh, that's a good question. So I have, um, (laughs) you don't even know the half of it. I bet. Since we've talked last. Yeah, so I have 10, what they're called spotted turtles. And then um, I just picked up two Reeves turtles because they were basically free. And I, um, I, have a, I have a safe search on KSL for reptiles or certain types of reptiles, but... Yeah, so I have two Reeves turtles, and then I have three Russian tortoises, and I force my parents to keep two of them for me <laughs> because they have more land out there, and I built a, like a pen for them. And I told my mom, "Can you, you know, take care of these? And they should be fine for the winter. You just have to take care of them during the summer." And she's like, "Okay." So they're keeping two out there, and then I have yeah one here of the Russian tortoises. And then I have a ton of fish, which essentially just go with the spotted turtles because they're aquatic turtles. Mm -hmm. And then I have two rubber boas and um, rubber snakes, obviously a boa, but they're actually the only boa in North America. So they're pretty unique to North America and they're pretty cool snake. There, yeah, there's no known incident of a rubber boa biting a human at all. So they're super docile. They use them to like kind of heal or train phobias for people that are scared of snakes. They use this type of snake because they won't ever bite. They won't even think about it. Do they get pretty big? I mean, when I think boa, I think of a big snake. Yeah, no, they don't actually. They stay about two feet, two to three feet. And, you know, it's their, their masses, they get thick. They're thick, but not super thick. So, yeah, they're kind of rare. They're native to Utah. You can catch them. You need a permit. It's a whole thing that you need to get. But I've, yeah, I've got two so far. They're both eating, which is, uh, yeah, you don't want to know all the details about the rubber boas, but I have two rubber boas, and I think it's a male and female. So hopefully, we get them to breed. Nice, and we and, just and that's have, part of part of your operation. You don't just collect them, but you breed turtles and 
and snakes and all things, right? That's the hope. Yeah. So, um, I, how I got 10 of the spotted turtles was because I buy them in bulk and then I resell them and basically cover all my costs Hmm. because the biggest cost of getting the spotted turtles is the shipping. Hmm. But anyways, we just had one, um, of the turtles. They're old enough now that one of them lays eggs and we, I got two eggs this year. Last year we had two eggs, but both of them were infertile and they just died. But I think I have one that's fertile. That's in an incubator right now of the two that were laid. So hopefully we have another baby coming soon and then I'll, I might keep this one and, or sell it. I have turtle friends throughout the state that we talk (laughs) about turtles and they have their own pens and their own ponds. And I have a guy in Grantsville that I go chit chat with probably once a month about his property and his turtles and things. So it's a whole community. (laughs) Any other like hidden talents or hobbies that uh, outside of reptiles? I don't know about if they're hidden. I mean, I like fishing and, you know, being outdoors, camping, hiking. Um, yeah, they're not really hidden, but we yeah. just bought a four-wheeler and side-by-side. And I always try to tell people or invite people out. But it's always last minute. So I feel like whenever we invite people out, we probably, yeah. Whenever we invite people out, it's like last minute. It's like, oh, we have a free Saturday or we have a couple hours today. Let's go do something. And then yeah. we try to invite people and like, we have plans. Well, why don't you <laughs> like, yeah, I know <laughs> our plans yeah. fell through. So we're doing something. Yeah. Awesome. But, and then, uh, your career currently you're, so you're a, you're an accountant, right? Anything, any other way you would dress that up or, or make that sound no. like you're, you're saving <laughs> the world? Nope. Nope. So yeah, I'm an accountant, my wife and I, we own, well, I think Amy's 100% ownership now of Turnkey Accountants. So if you look that up on Google, they'll, it'll be our house because we don't have a location or anything. Oh, nice. But she does bookkeeping. I help her out as needed. And then I have a full-time job working at a um, chemical supply company, Brody Chemical in Salt Lake. And then... And you just work at home now, right? Or do you uh, yeah, four days, four days out of five, I'm at home. One day I go into the office. Every once in a while, I'll pop in to see what's going on and talk to people. And mm-hmm. so it's really flexible, which is great. And then I do, I teach a class at BYU Idaho as well for bookkeeping oh, wow. or QuickBooks. Uh-huh. Um, and then, yeah, I just actually, I just joined a board for ACE. Um, I can't remember. I, I need to learn this, but it's like American conservation something. I have it right here. American conservation experience. Hmm. And they're like a nationwide, a nonprofit that I just joined a board of. So I'll be having some board meetings. I'll have to fly out to and meet with people and doing accounting things, yeah. talking about finances and what to do and what not to do. And yeah. 
Well, that's awesome. And I'm, and I'm so grateful that accountants like you and your wife exist because <laughs> I don't even want to look at it. And so every year as I do taxes or every quarter, I guess I should say, you know, it's like, yeah, uh, yeah take it. Just uh, tell just me how, how much did, to write yeah. the check for and I'll just grip my teeth and get it over with. So, yeah, yeah that's awesome. Very cool. Yeah, I listened to a few podcasts on accounting, keep me up to date on everything. And nice. Part of my well, podcast. Well, if I have a hard time sleeping, then you'll have to tell me what those pockets. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, so any, any other, before we wrap up here, any other concept story? I don't know what else, what would he missing about Tony? We can't get it all in within an hour, but hopefully this right. intrigues people to corner you at church and ask you some follow-up questions. So, um, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, yeah, growing up in the middle of it now with the kids, trying to get through a night, you know, a full night of sleeping and summer kind of messes things up because all the kids at 10 o'clock, they're like, why are we going to bed? It's still light outside. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, because it's bedtime, just go to sleep. And yeah, I I still try to play basketball every once in a while. So good. I, yeah, I have a weird pinky. <laughs> Wait, really? I dislocated. Like, it's dislocated. Well, it was. It just like it's just there's a huge. Yeah, I dislocated it in high school, uh-huh. and then ever since then, every once in a while, playing basketball or something will just go sideways, and I have oh to goodness. pop it back in place. And then the other this year actually is it, I was playing basketball and I popped out my finger my pointer finger and it was just like on top of my knuckle. So this one doesn't look as bad because it wasn't a side left or right. It was just up, but that's yeah. Every once in a while I'll have a injury or a brew, you know, a sprained ankle or something just because I try to, I I try to play with the young kids now and I can't keep up. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I was, I was playing basketball and it popped out and we play with a, a physical therapist or a PA, a physician's assistant. Uh-huh. And I was asking him, like, what, do, what should I do? Because I couldn't pop it back in place. And he's like, I'm like, do something. <laughs> he's like, no, I'm not touching that. And he's like, you need to go to the hospital about that. And I'm like, no. I. And it was right, be- right between when I left a job and got a new job, so I didn't have insurance. Oh, my goodness. And I was like, I can't go to the hospital because I – don't want to pay money to go to the hospital because I don't have insurance. And then one of the guys is like, well, why don't you bend your finger at the same time you try to pull it out? I was like, okay. So I pulled it and popped it back in place. Oh. And it was just some random guy and it popped back in place. But <laughs> I'm so thankful that he told me to do that because I couldn't bend it at all. It was just stuck. And I was like, I can't, I can't. And I kept pulling it and I told the biggest guy we play with, he's like 6'6", like 300 pounds. I'm like, pull on pull on he's like no i'm not touching that that's hideous <laughs> I was like oh, oh my fine so i just kept yanking on it and then finally the guy's like well try to bend it like try to close your fist when you do it and i it finally popped into place but i was so grateful because i didn't have to go to the hospital and I it's been fine it ever since it's still it's not the same but that's the same with any finger issue yeah. i think it's it's still yeah, weaker, but 
as and there it's I can't bend it flat because I think it healed kind of you know in its wellingness. Uh-huh. So it's yeah, not the same, but that's the story of yeah fingers, especially yeah. So when people My see fingers. a church say, "Hey Tony, let me see your weird finger, your weird pinky," yeah. and you can show them. So yeah, the pinky is super weird because it has like a bulbous knuckle. But this one, yeah, all the time it just pops out of place and I just pop it back in. Oh, man. And it's painful, but it's been happening since high school. Yeah. And there's a, I think, Booger, Booger or something. He's a commentary for football. Uh-huh. When you watch, his hands are just jacked up. And I'm like, I'm glad I'm, my hands aren't that bad. Yeah. Yeah, but I think he does. Yeah, ESPN. He's a commentator for ESPN. Booger. It's a weird name too. Booger, but Booger something. Nice. And whenever I see his hands, I'm like, Phew, yeah. The difference is he made millions of dollars m- messing up That's his fingers, true. right? <laughs> so. Yeah, and I just, nice. I did, I just did it for glory. Nice. Love it. <laughs> High school glory. <laughs> well, that's not the end of Tony's story. So hopefully uh, people can ask some follow-up questions and get to know Tony a little bit better. And uh, I guess you got to get your wife on here too. You're you're the host now. so Yeah. I, I was thinking, didn't it, you end with John Smith? And we started uh, to do Yeah, I did. Sharon. Yeah. So yeah. track down Sharon and uh, pick was, it up I where I left it off. track so. her down. Yeah. And s- continue that and then start reaching out to people. But... Yeah. yeah, Sharon taught or coached my daughter in softball. So now she's experienced my family. Oh, good. <laughs> for the good or the bad. So <laughs> Good. Well, more to, to come for sure down. on the Parkview and Pod, as uh, as we call it. And uh, so I got one more question for you. And this is what I do. Obviously, you can do whatever you want as a host. But I usually have one last question I ask. And then once the guest is done answering it, you can just hit, stop and then we'll edit from there. So I'll ask you this question. And then when you're done, just hit stop and then we'll be done. So, um, right. And that question is, I want to imagine you're, you get, get into your DeLorean and go in the future, 100 years or so. What final message would you have for your posterity? What would you tell them if you had one message to tell your posterity? Oh man. Got all the thing. I mean, who knows where we're even here, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so my posterity, I'm talking to them, old man. I think I would tell them as a word of advice to, you know, focus on what's important and not about the changes in the world is there i mean there's so many things that are changing in the world and i at that point i wouldn't know what's left or right what's up or down or you know what's possible but i think what it is um what would still remain the same is the importance of family the importance of loving your family the relationships that you have and that focus um i i i've I learned a long time ago out of an article about, you know, the five biggest regrets someone has. And one of them is working too much. And I always think about that, you know, if you focus on your family relationships, the ties that you have your family, you'll miss, you know, you won't have as many regrets 
at the end. So that's what I would tell them to focus on your family, focus on relationships, focus on keeping them in good places because that's what you'll value no matter what's going on in the world.